Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thank you for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Ben Sesser, CEO and founder of Bright Hire, an interview intelligence platform that's raised $36 million in funding. Ben, thanks for chatting with me today. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. So before we begin talking about what you're building, could we just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I'm Ben. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Bright Hire. We're a venture-backed SaaS company built to make hiring better, more effective, fast, and fair. And before building Bright Hire, I've been in growth stage tech companies as an operator for the last dozen years or so. But my roots were in the actually in the HR and talent space where where Bright Hire operates. So I started my career at a publicly traded company that was a research advisory firm with a lot of focus on the HR space. And I was doing corporate development and strategy there. So MA partnerships and that sort of thing. And, and I actually majored in in labor relations. So was one of the few people that that went to school related to HR that carried it through for their career. And what was it about HR that drew you in early on in your career? It's a good question. I think actually my earliest interest was really around kind of like education empowerment. So my entree into the world of HR was through careers being a vehicle for economic empowerment for individuals. And and so education is a part of that. The career you land is part of that. And so that was an area of interest of mine going back to undergrad and, and something that I felt really passionate about. And beyond education, started to think about just how important the decisions that one is able to make and does make around their careers and what, what they're going to do for a living is for their life, right? Their, their family and, and their personal success in life and how to bring more order into that, how to bring more equity into that was something that was very top of mind. Nice. Makes a lot of sense and super interesting. Now, two questions that we like to ask just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder and entrepreneur. First one, what CEO do you admire the most and what do you admire about them? This is a a pretty hard question. I honestly wouldn't say that there's like a single founder that I idolize or look up to. I think I've certainly been inspired by a lot of famous entrepreneurs and their stories. So, you know, I I love Shoe Dog about Phil Knight and and draw things from, from that. But a lot of the entrepreneurs that I look up to, I know personally, and I say I draw inspiration from like very specific traits that they have, be it their energy, their empathy, you know, some entrepreneurs are very risk-taking. Some of them have incredible analytical abilities to break down problems. And so, you know, I, in general, try to spend time around other founders, unique role, and, and I'm inspired by, you know, primarily their resilience. You know, it takes a lot of resilience to be a builder and to go through ups and downs. And, and, and that's something that, you know, I will always respect anyone who's, who's kind of put themselves in the arena and, and tried to build. So it doesn't necessarily need to be someone who's famous or successful. Cause I think there's a little bit of survivorship bias around some of those. Now, of course, there's like repeat entrepreneurs that have built businesses over and over again. And I always find that to be, you know, astonishing because there's so much timing and luck involved, but, uh, but I draw a lot of inspiration from people that I know personally, and I try to spend some time with. Nice. Love that. And you mentioned Shoe Dog there. Are you aware that there's a movie? I just found out there's a, a Nike movie coming out soon. Yeah, I just saw that. Somebody famous, is it like a Ben Affleck movie? Or I can't remember exactly who's who's in it. But yeah, I did see that. And I'm, I'm definitely excited to check it out. And I think a lot of entrepreneurial stories, there's always a lot of crazy twists and turns. And that one's certainly no different. And so definitely a book worth picking up if you're looking for something to, to read about and learn about a CEO and a, and a business builder. 
Yeah, absolutely. And what about other books? Are there any other books that have had a major impact on you? And this can be you know, one of the classic business books or just a book that really influenced how you personally view the world and how you interact with people and all of that. Yeah, it's a good, another good question. So there's definitely, again, kind of similar answer. There's not like a single business book that, you know, is my sort of Bible for entrepreneurship. You know, it's not like I open the art of war every night, but I definitely, you know, I was influenced by ideas from the lean startup the first time I read it, you know, way back when and how you approach kind of hypothesis-driven business building. I was inspired by ideas in sort of zero to one and others. But honestly, from an entrepreneurship perspective, I think the book that I was most inspired by is actually not a business book. It's uh, Endurance. So it's the story of Ernest Shackleton's voyage to Antarctica. And I think I started reading that right around the time we started building Bright Hire. And uh, it's just one of those stories that's almost so unbelievable. You can't imagine that it's true. And again, a lot of startups is about enduring and moving forward and finding a way. And, and that book is, you know, if you haven't read it, very, very inspirational in that regard. It's one of the most amazing stories that you'll ever read. Yeah, I read that and it was like one of my nighttime books. So I try to read books to try to you know, put myself to bed or distract my brain. And I read that and yeah. then I finished it. And then they found the boat like or the ship like the next week. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. I was so excited. I can't believe yeah. they found it. I know. It's pretty amazing. Do you have any other adventure books like that that you like? Yeah, I went on a So after I read that one, I went on a kick and read some others. There's a book called River of Doubt, which is about Teddy Roosevelt in South America, kind of like traversing the rivers in Brazil, an incredibly dangerous voyage. He actually almost died in that. And so that one was pretty, pretty amazing. I read a story about Meriwether, uh, like Lewis and Clark and their, their voyage across the country. So I went on a kick after the Shackleton book and read a bunch of those types of stories, which all of which were fantastic and inspiring and, uh, you know, gives you a little bit more mojo to the work that you're doing every day. Nice. Yeah. We'll have to exchange notes on that because I had a, a very similar journey and uh, I haven't heard <laughs> those, but I'm, uh, I'm really, really doubt, fantastic. Fantastic. yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely recommend river of doubt. It's a, it's a good one. Yeah. Nice. I'll check it out. Yeah. It's refreshing. I think to like get outside of like the traditional business books, I feel like at some point they're all just kind of saying the same thing. But when you read books like Endurance, like I think you learn a lot of valuable business lessons and just life lessons and just life motivation that's you know, outside of business. But it certainly seems to apply, I think, in a lot of cases as well. Totally. Totally agree. All right. Well, let's dive deep now into Bright Hire. So can you tell us about the origin story behind the company? Yeah. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, so my connection to and passion for the people side of business goes pretty far back. And you know, kind of studied it as a strategist and at a research advisory firm, and then had the opportunity to see kind of firsthand how important people are to the success of businesses, you know, at a few different scaling companies that I was at, where, you know, you could just point to individual people and see, you know, that that person is one of the big reasons that we're successful. And if they weren't here, we would have a different outcome. And so it's kind of a firsthand reminder of that. And at the same time, in, in a few of those roles, I was wearing sort of an operational and a finance hat, right? So people are also our single biggest investment. So they're driving every outcome. They're the number one reason for our success or failure. And it's the number one investment we're making on the one hand. And on the other hand, I felt like there was a big disconnect between the importance. If your team is the most important ingredient for your success and hiring is how you build your team, then hiring is you know among the most important activities that you do as a business. But the way it's done day to day doesn't necessarily reflect that at all times, particularly relative to the way that we treat other really important processes in our business, like go to market and product development in terms of the rigor, the discipline, the data, the you know, kind of the constant attention and focus. And so that was kind of the context for Bright Hire, you know, seeing that, you know, at the heart of the hiring process 
is a series of conversations and decisions that drive every outcome. And, and those conversations and decisions, you know, are our black box and, and kind of random. And it felt like in the future, if people are still really important to the success of every organization, which we firmly believe, there had to be a smarter, better way to do that. And, and so interviews was a great place to focus in hiring decisions because they're at the heart of the process, right? And so if you're going to solve the most important, potentially one of the most important processes, that's going to set the stage for your success, you know, go right to the heart of it. That's kind of most broken. And, that, and that's kind of where we focus our attention, but it's hard. It's hard to get interviews right. And so, you know, there's a whole bunch of reasons for that, that I can get into, but it just seemed like that was a tremendous opportunity to solve that problem and then create, you know, more systematic way to hire better, make it more efficient, more effective with less bias. And looking through your site as the logos grow by, it's essentially every dream, big unicorn tech company that someone would want to work with. So What's the secret? How were you able to break through the noise and capture the attention and, and earn the trust of all of these impressive logos? Yeah. You know, I'd love to tell you that there was a magic wand, but I think ultimately, you know, the first stop is, do you have a product that is going to solve an important problem for folks? And and I think all the companies on our site that you're looking at and, and the rest of our clients, you know, they share some common traits and principles and and primarily they are very talent forward organizations that want to treat hiring as a discipline, as something that should be a competitive advantage and certainly a strength of their organization because they know the stakes are really high. And so, you know, finding early on the right, you know, sort of psychographic, the right folks and bringing something to the table that has, you know, a clear connection back to the things that they care about is really important. And, and ultimately a lot of the early great clients that we brought on board started pretty early in our company formation process. These were folks that we talked to early on to validate the concept, to get feedback as we built the business and built the product such that, you know, when it was the right time to, you know, put something in their hands that could work uh, <laughs> functionally, you know, they were already bought in. And at the same time, we had validation from the market before we invested a bunch of time. Makes a lot of sense. And talk to me about market category. So is interview intelligence, is that a widely accepted category? Is that a line item that most organizations have carved out now? Or is that a new category that you're pioneering and really pushing to create? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we are in the broad sense in an existing category, right? Video interviewing is something that folks have done for a long time, but the category itself has transformed quite a bit. From the days when, you know, just having a software platform where you could talk to somebody on video remotely and do an interview was the thing to to what we do. So the subcategory interview intelligence is new. We are the leader. We've educated the market and we can talk about, you know, that process. And so we are bringing something new to the table that folks haven't done before. But what they have done before is interview. And, you know, increasingly, you know, certainly post pandemic on doing so on Zoom and meet and teams. And so that affords an opportunity to do things and get a set of, set of capabilities that were impossible before. By having this you know, technology-mediated conversation, you can create value in ways that you weren't able to before. So that was really the crease that we stepped into. And once we did that, you know, we were able to layer on so much value for all the stakeholders in the process. And so, yeah, definitely we exist within a broader existing category, but what we do is new and interview intelligence is a new thing. And yeah, we've been at the forefront of that. And do you envision eventually it's going to really be its own standalone market category, or is it always going to be a subset of the video interviewing category? Well, I think we've created a pretty big distinction in terms of what we do 
relative to the historical products in this space. And so we certainly believe that the opportunity space that we occupy is going to be a big standalone category over the long haul, without a doubt. There's so much value for adopting what we do. It makes such a demonstrable and immediate difference to the quality and the efficiency and the equity of hiring. So yeah, we certainly believe that it's a standalone, you know, big opportunity unto itself. And there's quite a big distinction between sort of what we do and the existing players that live in the space for for a long time. And do you think that existing category eventually just goes extinct and is replaced by interview intelligence? Like will video interviews even exist without the interview intelligence component? Like, is there a world where that makes sense or is it all going to be interview intelligence at some point? It's a great question. Yeah. I mean, again, the capabilities that we're layering onto the process, it's hard to imagine that you'd want to do interviews, not the way that, you know, we're, we're supporting folks doing them in the future. And just to give you a quick sense, you know, we are helping every single interviewer run a better conversation in the moment right? We're automatically recording, transcribing the conversation so that, you know, just like I'm focused on you now, not writing everything down, you're telling me that's what you can do in an interview, which is really important. You have such a finite amount of time with a candidate to evaluate them and understand if they're going to be a fit in your organization. And we're talking about decisions that are tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And Mm -hmm. so to not spend every second of that limited time at full attention with full focus and also delivering the experience a candidate you know, wants, right, in that regard, is a big miss. And then, you know, after the conversation, we create shared context for decision making, right? Brett, if you and I were going to go try to buy a company or start a company or or make another big decision together, you know, we would be sharing spreadsheets and memos and have all the shared context to align and make those decisions. But that's not actually the case in hiring today, right? It's a lot of trading notes and games of telephone, which given the stakes is almost kind of incomprehensible. And then systematically, we're helping the process run better, right? So we're helping people ask the, the right questions at the right time. And we're giving a bunch of insights back to organizations that help them understand the effectiveness of their hiring process and the equity around it. And so when you think about all those capabilities layered on to relative to what, what existed before, which is just a conversation that happens and disappears and becomes like a few bullet point notes, mm-hmm. it's such a gap, right? And so it's hard to believe that that's not where the world moves, which is why we started the business. You know, we sat back and said, you know, AI and technology are going to really revolutionize the way that we do nearly everything, right? And particularly within work. And so in the context of all that sea change, which, you know, if you look at things like OpenAI, ChatGPT, I mean, it's very palpable right now. Did we believe that five years from now, all of that would exist, but hiring would still be pen and paper notes and and people's memories? That was not a feature that we felt reasonable, which is, which is why we started the business. Makes a lot of sense. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. And looking through the site, it seems like it's very intentional that you're owning interview intelligence. You literally do own interviewintelligence.com. Looking at that site, old way, new way, I'm guessing there's a, a clearly defined category strategy here, or at least a, a clearly defined strategic narrative that you're building on. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, totally. You know, when you are creating a category, there's a bunch of things that you have to do that are distinct from 
you know, operating in a, in an existing category and maybe just being a disruptor, you know, but still fitting nicely within the lane of an existing category. And so we are definitely leading into a lot of those best practices and, and things that, you know, we've learned from looking at other great companies that have created categories historically, whether it be around branding or education or formalizing the category in the right places. There's a, there's a whole bunch of things that go into it. Are there any inspirations that you have or any specific companies that you've looked at their approach to category building and just felt really inspired by them? That's a great question. You know, Gainsight is a company that comes to mind. You know, we know some of the folks that were involved in the building of that business and before they existed, you know, there was no purpose-built software for customer success, right? And so they did a whole bunch of things that I think others have tried to emulate following them that were really successful. They built a really strong community in customer success, which was kind of nascent at the time. They did a tremendous amount of education and content uh, development around best practices to codify what great looks like in customer success and, and create thought leadership. And so they just did a bunch of things that I think others that tried to emulate later that proved to be really, really important to establish a whole new category in software and to build a brand that you know wasn't just associated with a solution, but was associated with a movement. So that's one. You know, I think HubSpot's another one that folks look at. You know, their original founding was really around this idea of inbound demand versus outbound and and content and so on and so forth. And so I think they had some of those principles in place as well. Yeah, I love both of those companies, but I especially love Gainsight. And they're one of the companies that I reference a lot when it comes to category creation and category design, because like you said, they just really nailed it with identifying that customer success managers were an underserved demographic and there was a, a market for that. Yeah, they've done such a good job. You know, one thing in the things you listed out there, you, you failed to mention is his rap, uh, Nick Meta's customer success rap. Have you ever seen yeah. that video? <laughs> I have. Yes. Yeah. Nick is someone I've been fortunate to know a little bit and 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 spend a little bit of time with. And I think in that rap's amazing. I think in general, his leadership style is one that I, that I really, really appreciate. Yeah. He comes across as cool. So big question there. When is your hip hop tape going to drop? When are we going to see the rap come out? That's a great question. I think those moments are at this point strictly for bright higher offsites thus far. And so we'll, I think TBD on when I'm going to you know, bring the cameras behind the scene of a, of a bright hire karaoke night and, and release it to the world, but, but noted. And, uh, and I'll talk to our marketing team about when that makes sense. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll be anxiously waiting for an update here. <laughs> now to dive in here, just a few more questions on the category side, since so many of the founders listening in are either thinking about creating a category or actively trying to create a category. So when you set out to build the company from day one, was that clear in your mind that this was going to be a new category, it was going to be called interview intelligence, or was there a real discovery process that led to you eventually making that decision and coming up with that term? Yeah, that's a great question. I know there's lots of checklists and things that have been put out into the world in regards to, you know, sort of making the decision as to whether or not you want to create a category or, or join an existing one. I think a lot of folks that have created categories generally say, if you can fit into an existing category, you should probably do that <laughs> from like hard lessons learned and those sorts of things, which makes a lot of sense. You know, category creation is definitely always a challenge, even if the rewards are great. You know, you're educating the market on a new, better way to work. So it takes a lot of time and, and it's always a work in progress, I think for a long time until things get really established. And so I think early on, you know, we were, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed and, and we're excited about this prospect of like bringing something new into the world. That's 
you know, one of the, I think, traits of, of founders is, you know, you're excited about bringing innovation. And so we quickly said, hey, this is a new category because we felt it was so different from, you know, what existed before. And we felt that the value was transformational and we didn't want to get bucketed with solutions that were, you know, truly pretty fundamentally different in terms of the way that they're used and the value that they create. So we didn't really have a drawn out conversation. We kind of went headlong into, hey, we're creating a new category. What's the best way to do that early on? And looking back, I'm not sure we would have done anything different. You know, part of category creation is is really hard, but it's also really fun. You know, you feel like a little bit swashbuckling, like you're imposing a change on the world and things are not going to be the way they were before. And I think that that's something that you know, our team draws, you know, fun and inspiration from on a, on a regular basis. Cause we see the, we see the impact. And early on, did you have any pushback from either investors or, um, what a lot of founders tell me is the sales team where they have the sales team saying that, you know, it's very hard to sell a new category. It's much easier to sell into an existing category. Did you have any pushback like that from either sales investors or anyone else early on, or was everyone bought into this idea of a new category, uh, from the early days? Yeah, I think we were all bought in, you know, when you're uh, at the juncture where we're having a conversation about, you know, whether we should create a category or join an existing one, the sellers are myself and my co-founder, you know, so it's not, there wasn't a big sales team to sort of push back on the notion. <laughs> we would be the pushback. Evidently we didn't. So that wasn't really part of the equation. And, and, you know, I think among our investors, yeah, it wasn't really a big point of contention. I think everyone felt like this is a different new and different enough way to do things that it really didn't make sense for us to kind of talk about it in the context of the historical category in particular because you know the companies that we were selling to out of the gate weren't using existing like video interviewing technology which had been really the purview of large enterprises you know the the companies that we were talking to use the phone and you know zoom and google meet so yeah it wasn't really a big debate among the team Makes a lot of sense. Now let's talk about go-to-market challenges. So I'm sure at some point you've experienced a couple of challenges along this journey. So if we had to pick one major go-to-market challenge that you experienced and overcame, what's that challenge and how'd you overcome it? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the category creation is honestly probably what I would point to. You know, again, there's a lot of education involved and that just adds a, a new factor in your marketing. It adds a new factor in how you manage a sales process and what the conversations look like, how advisory you need to be versus sort of more transactional, right? If we are bringing a slightly different, newer version of something that people are already using today with existing budget, we would be having much more of a features, functionality, and pricing conversation. It would be about, you know, do you want to continue to use the product that you're using or do you want to, you know, use our product, which has these differentiated benefits relative to that product? But for us, there's a lot more discovery and then there's a lot more conversation that we have where we're connecting the value our product delivers back to pain. And to some extent, it can only be, it's best learned through experience. And so early on, you have just true believers are your customers that get it right away. And then there's honestly a bunch of folks that don't get it. And, you know, that's okay. Not everyone's going to get it right away. I think the important thing in terms of how we tackled it is you have to have raving customers because there's no validation for a new category that, you know, no amount of marketing is going to 
create a category. What's going to create a category is extremely happy customers telling their peers how great something is and more and more people adopting it such that it hits, you know, a tipping point and goes to that sort of classic adoption curve. And so, you know, category creation, again, is not, you know, for the faint of heart for those reasons. And the only, I would say the only way to be successful, but a critical attribute to be successful creating a category is just, you actually have to deliver a tremendous amount of value to the market, to your early customers and magnify their successes to validate why other folks should spend their time and attention investing in what you do. And did you have to train your brain to really buy into this idea of making long-term investments? That's one of the other things that I've heard from a lot of category-defining founders is it's a total change in mindset. You have to really stop thinking about short-term ROI and you know immediate metrics that are seeing the needle move. But how did you train yourself to do that? Was that hard for you to do? Or what was that experience like? Yeah. Are you thinking about in particular from a go-to-market investment perspective? Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, what I've seen is there's, you know, marketing metrics that you want to be able to measure. And obviously everyone, you know, wants to focus on ROI and, and leads and deals. But what I've seen with category creation is a lot of time you're just investing in the education to create the demand for the category term. And that's a long way from there until that's going to, you know, generate an ROI and, and drive revenue for the company. So I guess the question there is, you know, did you have to convince yourself and train your brain to be okay with playing this long-term game or were you able to do that just right from the start? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, I think we are kind of doing two things at once. I think we were all pretty bought into some of the investments that we would have to make to ultimately find success in category creation and trying to lean into those early on. I think really early on, some of those are really challenging to invest in because you simply don't have the resources to do so when we got a little bit of scale and you could have more dedicated personnel and resources to things like content and and that sort of thing i think we were all really bought into how important that would be my co-founder spent you know a fair bit of time at linkedin and and one of the roles that you know he played there was kind of harnessing all of linkedin's data to tell stories to, that explain the value of what they did or told it very interesting stories. And so we kind of walked into this business with that being something that we were really excited about, which is we're going to capture all this incredibly valuable data and we'll be able to educate the market with that data and tell really interesting stories with it. And it will create this sort of long game benefit to us. And so I don't think there was a big training the brain exercise that we had to go through necessarily because we were excited about that from the get-go, but there's the realities of you have limited, you know, resources and capital and those sorts of things early on. And so you just, you're not necessarily able to do all of those things when you're really, really small because you simply don't have the resources. Yeah. Makes sense. And I see on the site that you have a community called Shine. Can you talk to us about that community and just the overall role that community-led growth is playing in your go-to-market? Yeah. So Shine's been a community that we've had in place for maybe 18 months or maybe a little bit longer. You know, we tried to facilitate a community of folks in the TA, in the talent acquisition space, even going back to when it was just myself and my co-founder sort of trying to build a bit of momentum around what we were doing and part of our research process. And we knew that community was important for category creation, you know, from conversations with like the folks from Gainsight. But just because it's important doesn't mean there's an opportunity to build a community. You know, a community requires people that 
need community that were seeking it. And it, it kind of became evident almost in a surprising way over the first year, maybe year and a half of our business that talent folks didn't have great communities to the level we would expect to just simply share best practices. And so given the, that we knew that community could be really beneficial for category creation, and just given that, you know, part of what we want to do is build goodwill and and give back to the, to the TA space, because we, again, believe in the long-term benefit of that. We kind of dipped a toe in the water and started inviting folks into a, a community and facilitating connections around it and found that people were immediately very drawn to it. And it was a space that people needed. And so it's grown quite a bit and been fantastic. We don't use it for commercial purposes. We don't advertise and talk about bright hire in there. It's really a separate space for the TA professional. We, we do some facilitation and some best practice sharing and that sort of thing. But we know that over the long arc of our business, this is a, a space that we all care about and are passionate about. And part of the reason that we love it so much is that there's a lot of best practice sharing. It's, it's not like a highly competitive space in terms of company A won't tell company B what they're doing well. People are really open to sharing. And so we know that, but facilitating that, ultimately it'll pay dividends in terms of you know, the associations that folks have with our brand and our ability to tap into that community for feedback and product development and, and a variety of other things. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I have to say my takeaway from this interview really is play the long game. If you're going to go down the category creation path, you have to be prepared to play the long game and you know, doing these types of things like building a community, but not trying to commercialize it or monetize it. That's definitely a long, long-term strategy. And it's really fascinating and interesting to hear your perspective and fun to hear about someone who's really doing this, not just you know, talking about it in theory. Yeah. Again, it's, it's a long game. So, you know, we'll do the, the V2 of this interview in five years and, and we can talk about, you know, how successful shine was and, and whether or not it, you know, you know, some of the things that we're talking about ultimately, you know, paid all the dividends that we hope they would pay. But, you know, again, part of it is particularly around things like education community. Yeah. We also started this business and so many of our employees are, they work at Bright Hire because they're passionate about making hiring better. Cause we believe it's incredibly important for every individual, for every organization. And so to be able to give back to the community is something that we just find to be really important and, you know, don't need to m- quantify the value on a week to week basis to kind of know that that's the case. And last question here for you, let's zoom out now into that three year, five year vision. What's the future of the company? What do you want it to look like? What do you want the impact to be on the talent acquisition community as a whole and just the industry as a whole? Yeah, it's a great question. So our mission is to give everyone the hiring experience they deserve. And so we, when we say everyone, we mean everyone, we mean the the company, the the individuals on the other side of the table who are, or candidates. And we truly believe that there's an opportunity for us to transform the way hiring works forever. And if you think about what that means, it's quite a, an inspiring mission for us because again, people's experience day in, day out is so driven by the careers that they have, the, the doors that are open to them, the colleagues they work with, the success of their organizations. And so if you can make a a dent in that, that's a pretty transformational outcome. You know, today we've done that for thousands and thousands and thousands of individuals. So those are folks that have been, you know, interviewed and hired for after being, you know, interviewed on Bright Hire and so forth. And over five years, you know, we'd love to get that to, you know, the million mark. And if we've done that, that says a lot about other things that we've accomplished, right? It says that we've gotten a tremendous amount of adoption, which means that we've had a huge impact from a mission perspective. And if we've had that level of adoption, you know, I, I believe that, you know, we've, we've also had a, quite a bit of business success as well. I'm very lucky in that, you know, 
this opportunity sits in the middle of the Venn diagram. That's like, you know, a big opportunity that has a real mission to it that I'm inspired by personally, right? There's lots of big opportunities that I'm not inspired by. There's a lot of missions that aren't big opportunities, but I truly believe that we sit in the middle of that Venn diagram. And for me personally, it's uh, it's quite a place to, to be able to, to operate. Amazing. Ben, this interview has been so much fun. Really enjoyed learning from you, hearing your story, hearing this vision, and just really hearing about your category creation efforts. So before we wrap, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build both this company and category, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, brighthire.ai, brighthire.com. We own both. So you can you can check us out there. Follow us on LinkedIn. You can connect with me on LinkedIn as well. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I'd be excited to... Uh, continue the conversation with uh, other folks listening along who are, uh, you know, thinking about jumping in and, and starting a business. Awesome. Ben, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Really appreciate it and look forward to having you back on in a couple of years to reflect on all of these efforts and this epic vision that you're working on. No, thank you, Brett. This is really fun. All right. Keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 